0: Thank you. Welcome back to yet another edition of Behind the Lens. I am film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, Debbie Elias. You can find my movie reviews and interviews online and in print around the, around the globe, twenty four seven, on the Behind the Lens Online.net website. But then every Monday, you will find me right here on Adrenaline Radio at eleven a.m. Pacific, two p.m. Eastern time with Behind the Lens. Uh, Last week, we kicked off year four. Great guest. Two great guests. Steve Alaric. Uh, I think that was Steve's fourth time here or something. He'll be back for more. Um, Ladies, don't worry. He will be back for more. And uh, also, Vivian DeCurcy talking about her film, Dare to be Wild, uh, which is out there now. And it is, I mean, it's a wonderful, wonderful film based on the life of uh, gardener, Mary Bennett. Uh, And if you really want some interesting reads, Mary Bennett uh, has also written books about wildflower gardening. So, you know, that's with spring coming. uh, I know in Los Angeles, it was in in the 80s this weekend. So people were thinking gardening. But uh, for a really intriguing story, uh, check out Dare to be Wild. But talk about some intriguing stories We have some very wonderful guests coming on the show today, starting with the quarter hour mark. We're going to have Santino Panico calling any you you sports fans out there might remember Santino. Uh, He was an incredible, incredible high school football player, went to the University of Nebraska, but then his body just gave out on him and uh, his play was so atrocious. He was actually booed uh, in the hometown stadium. Uh, that's, that sent Santino on a journey to find out what was wrong with him. Somebody who'd been so physically fit, uh, who was such a competitive athlete at the top of his game, what happened? And in his search, he discovered, learned all about proteins and learned all about shaping the body, satisfying the body, but also how you can become a a vegan, somebody eating with a plant-based diet. And still be a competitive athlete. He has produced, written, directed, and also done editing on From the Ground Up. I, it is one of the most fascinating documentaries. I knew nothing about, about this going into it. I had a basic idea of what veganism was. As opposed to being a vegetarian. As opposed to being a meat eater. But Santino takes us into the world of all of these athletes who are vegans and get some really eye-opening discussion. And he sets it in the framework of his own training. He couldn't, wasn't playing football anymore. He needed athletics of some sort. He gives himself 111 days to train for the New York marathon. And, uh, we follow this journey and learn and and hear from all of these other competitive athletes, including some professional football players, uh, bodybuilders, uh, surfers, skiers, skateboarders, world champions, um, who have this lifestyle and discipline. So it's really very interesting. So I can't wait to talk to Santino because this was also his first film. So he's going on two journeys here. He's journeying through the world of being a vegan and training to be a competitive athlete again, but he's also journeying through the world of directing a film from the ground up. So I look forward to talking to him, and of course, and at the half hour mark, I'm so thrilled to have these two people on behind the lens today, Dana Nachman, Don Hardy. You know their work. Bat Kid begins. Um, I had the pleasure of moderating a Q and A with Dana uh, at uh, ArcLight a couple years ago during the Bat Kid begins frenzy. She's back with Don and they have uh, another championship pick here, uh, which is just as compelling, just as engaging, will make you go, oh, so cute. It is called Pick of the Litter and it is a documentary that takes us on the journey of these five puppies who are bred and are trained to become guide dogs through Guide Dogs for the Blind. Uh, when you see this documentary, it is premiering at Slam Dance tonight, so we're going to talk to Dana and Don before their, the premiere of Pick, the world premiere of Pick of the Litter tonight. I'm very thrilled, especially after seeing this documentary. Uh, as comes as no surprise, they both you know both being editors with Don dir- directing and, and Dana also directing, but Dana pretty much writing and being responsible, I think, for the through line of the documentary. I can't wait to talk to them about putting this little gem together. It is guaranteed to steal the hearts of everybody that sees it. You will fall in love with all five of these pups as you watch them grow and train over the course of three years. So I'm just very excited about all three of our guests today. But before we get to them, you know, last week we started with a uh, started to play some a part of my exclusive interview with Alexander Desplat, who won the Golden Globe for Best Score for The Shape of Water, who we anticipate will pick up an Oscar nomination for the film, for his scoring uh, for Shape of Water as well. But we had to cut his interview because we had Vivian DeCurcy calling from London, and we didn't want to keep her on hold. So let's backtrack, let you finish hearing Clip number one of my interview with Alexander, talking about creating the the score for The Shape of Water.
1: I hope people will will love it too here because they loved it in London, they loved it in Venice. But I don't know about the American audience. Are they ready for love? This is because love house. is not love is not in the air. More about hate and pointing at people. And so I hope. I hope. Um,
0: I hope it gets through. I mean, it is, it, for my money, it is a masterpiece. It is. Oh, there's no mm. doubt. There, You're uh,
1: absolutely right. I have the same The cinematography, sensation.
0: the use of color, and
1: camera moves. The
0: Camera moves, and that's something. And even and Sydney's editing. Yeah, so oh, The yes. Cinematography, the editing, and the score. The these three things are in such synergy mm-hmm. with this film. Because we have one... Our main character does not speak. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Which is why we then need score... Mm -hmm. To fill in those moments. You know, we see that also with Wonderstruck... With Todd Haynes' movie. For the silent portions. Because of a deaf girl. Mm -hmm. But here... I mean, granted, she... You know, Eliza's doing sign language. And punctuating things with force and effect. But still... Our sensory experience needs to hear something, and that's where your score comes in. And I have to say, it is so beautiful. Thank you. You have whimsy in there with the scenes with the, with the boiled hard-boiled eggs, mm-hmm. like little tinkling sounds, mm-hmm. like a triangle, mm-hmm. or it, it's just. And then we get the whole the romantic, mm-hmm. epic swoon and sweep. And we have the chase, mm-hmm. the heart, the tension, you know, of the Russians and mm-hmm. torture and the the fluidity that you've put all this together with. The score flows like the water flows.
1: Well, you just said what I was looking for. The water. I A- was writing for, and the movie flows. So I just have to put a little boat on it and whoosh, <laughs> it does it's yes, just the way it is like on a stream in the street you know when there's water yeah. you put the little boat but it's the same the music can I couldn't say it's easy because it's not easy it's a lot of work but it's easier mm-hmm. because it's just it's calling for music as you said because of the unspoken emotions the restrained emotions um, and because the beauty of the every shot is Moving, mm. And because the way the script is so well organized, mm-hmm. and as you say, the flow of the editing, there's not one steady shots. everything is in motion. Yeah. And the music music is in motion also. Right. You know, it goes from A to Z. And so this chronological flow is just uh, um, amazingly inspirational for me.
0: Now, did you come on board after the film was finished?
1: Mm-hmm. I read the script. Mm-hmm. A long time ago,
0: how does your m- impression, if you read the script and you start getting ideas for how you might score something, but then you actually see a picture a lot?
1: Well, that's, that's, that's where I start. Mm-hmm. The script doesn't really give me... It usually gives me wrong directions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the visual, it's the visual... If I write musical films, it's because of the visual, mm-hmm. because of cinema, not of paper and well if the script is not good I, I can I, hope, I can tell <laughs> or, or if it's incomplete or if it's really really great then, then you may
0: be busy when it comes time to But that's the, that's, that's the thing yeah. Look,
1: well, but also also while I'm reading a script I'm doing another score for mm-hmm. another film so I it's hard for me to I can vaguely anticipate but not really it's winning when I see and when you see a film like this one coming coming towards you There's moments in in your life where you're you're being offered these experiences. When I saw um, Girl with a Pearl Earring, or when I saw King's Speech, Mm -hmm. or when I saw um, Benjamin Button, or The Queen, or I don't know, some films like that, you're given these moments of cinema Mm -hmm. that that you've uh, devoted your life to with passion and and, and joy. Mm -hmm. So when this came to me in January, I was I was like a like a child in a candy store. It's just that's what that's what I'm doing movies for. Mm-hmm. That's for that for this type of film. How did, when you saw
0: the film? How do you start? How do you approach developing the score? Well, there's form?
1: there's conversations with, with uh, Guillermo. I know he wants a score that is European. Okay, good, 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 good pick good pick uh, which means that he doesn't want me to follow the action you know frame by frame he wants me to to be more in the nouvelle vague uh, type of of, uh, scoring which is getting into the dramaturgy and not getting into the images Mm -hmm. the images inspire you but it's the story that should that should uh, create the score Mm -hmm. not the images and so I start by watching the opening scene on and on, Mm -hmm. this opening scene of the water, where all the room is floating. Um, So it's magical. It's warm. It's uh, fragile. It's delicate. um, There's a movement. And I try to put that (laughs) into music
0: (laughs) Yeah, and the movement of the water is very key because it's also very slow, very languid movement mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that matches the building the budding relationship between the creature
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Eliza. Mm-hmm. And of course then we get the whole explosion of water coming mm-hmm. through the door mm-hmm. after the bathroom scene. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> and the music there just takes you.
1: Yeah.
0: And it's just so beautifully done you know I, you have specific themes in here for oh, yes. characters yes of course there's
1: Elisa's theme there's the love theme mm-hmm. which is connected to Elisa's theme right. which actually alternate from her theme to the love theme mm-hmm. with the same bridge um, there's a motif for the, for the creature mm-hmm. um, motif for the Russian spy right 5-4 motif and um, and that's about it actually Mm -hmm. and I play around with that Uh, there's no motive for Strickland for the Mm -hmm. the torture because his performance is strong enough he doesn't need anything not Mm -hmm. that the others are not strong but they're restrained or unspoken Mm -hmm. he doesn't need because he speaks loudly enough loud he's so strong so brutal that his brutality is his language mm-hmm. it's his music mm-hmm. um, So as, as we go through the, the, the film the score is very gentle and intimate at the beginning with just a few elements of the orchestra and as we go of course I use that but sometimes I can expand it mm-hmm. to make it larger, deeper, stronger uh, more depth filled and um, and you more, more of the orchestra there's no woodwind except for 12 flutes. That's what gives us this blurred mm-hmm. underwater tone at the beginning. Uh, the whistle, Did I whistle? the accordion, which is played with a sound as a Bandanian. And what he plays is actually like Bandanian, tango-like um, arpeggios of scales and phrasing, because he comes from South America, the picture. I wanted to find something that Something would, that would
0: hardly... Unconsciously.
1: Yeah. Because it doesn't... It's not... You know, I'm not doing... Yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing yeah. some bow. No. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> no. But it's just... Unconsciously, there's something... Um, exotic about mm. what the recording is doing. Mm-hmm. There's some piano, fender piano. So all this is very, very watery. Um, and I bring the French horns and the... And the, the brass and the strings to expand as we go further mm-hmm. in the film.
0: And that was just part of my interview with Alexander Desplat. We may have more of that at the end of the show today, or the whole entire interview will be up on my website uh, tomorrow. So, and you can hear. And with Alexander, I want you to hear rather than me just, uh, you know, give you a written. Uh, Transcription, you know, a prosaic uh, writing of the interview because he does like to whistle and hum and make sound effects at, to describe the various passages within his scoring. And it is a joy to listen to him do that. So, but right now we are going to go and welcome Santino Panico to Behind the Lens. Hello, Santino.
2: Hi, Debbie. How are you?
0: I am so thrilled to be talking to you. uh, I'm thrilled to be talking to you. Thank you. I can't believe... First of all, I am so sorry that I had a conflict. Annie had asked me to moderate your Q&As for the premiere of the film in L.A. back in November. And I was already committed elsewhere, and I couldn't do it, and I so wanted to. Because this film, is this documentary is so amazing. It is so educational, and it's entertaining at the same time. So I'm so thrilled that I can have you on the show today.
2: Well, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here, and I, uh, I appreciate you, um, you know, telling me you could moderate. No worries on that, though. You know, we always, conflicts always come up, but it would have been great to have you to moderate. Thank you.
0: Oh, well, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you now, because... As I said, number 1, you you've got two journeys going on here. You're going on this journey training for the New York Marathon. You're going on a journey of exploration in uh, uh, with elite athletes who have become vegan. You're also journeying as a first-time filmmaker. Uh <laughs> This there's a lot a yeah. lot, of, lot, of, lot of traveling going on here, Santino.
2: <laughs> yes, ma'am. It's it's it, in life, it seems that, you know, everything's always converging. So I, uh, I wanted to, to do something different from the, the, my master's degree and from the work I was doing with a consultant firm. So I, you know, figured I could inspire people with the film. Um, you know, there's a lot of problems in society today. And, anthropogenic climate change, you know, several health issues, health crises in America, and, you know, the way we just treat animals in general. And I figured, you know, what better way to send home the message of plant-based eating than utilizing elite athletes. And then at the same time, I figured, you know, well, I've been an athlete my whole life, but I've never really done anything from a competitive standpoint as an athlete. So I've always been terrified of when people say, oh, I run marathons. I'm like, you're, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. I don't. I can't I couldn't fathom running 26.2 miles when I played college football and I was in an anaerobic sport. So I figured I'd just marry the three and, and try to get after it as best as I could.
0: Well, you certainly have done an amazing job. I'm really curious how you approached the making of From the Ground Up, from a filmmaking standpoint, because you know how to approach things from an athletic standpoint. You learned how to approach things as you shifted your eating habits into a plant based diet, How do you, what kind of disciplines did you employ as you embarked on this filmmaking? Because you're doing every you, you know, you're editing, you were writing, you were directing, um, eventually you're editing, and I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the fact that you knew in your head what you wanted to do. But you had to develop a through line to carry us through here, and that's not always easy.
2: So it's interesting with this film, it could have gone a couple different ways. You know, mm-hmm. I could have focused on, you know, two or three athletes and could have gone on the kind of conventional, you know, if you've ever watched HBO's 24 seven, when a boxer has a fight, you know, in a month's time and they do kind of a, you know, day by day of the life in the boxer leading up to the fight, I could have picked, you know, three or four athletes and kind of followed them on a current journey. Uh, It just could have gone so many different ways, but I didn't want it to be conventional like that because I see a lot of documentaries that are, you know, cinema verite, uh, and there's not a lot of cinematic elements in it. So what I wanted to do was try to marry the two, kind of have a a cross between a cinema verite documentary and then some cinematic elements with the with the cinematography, so to speak. And I just felt like I wanted to have a diverse group of people. you know, I wanted there to be gender diversity, I wanted there to be white, black, Latino, I wanted to show that, you know, there's a common misconception in that people have of vegans as being middle class, you know, wealthy white males. And I think that um, slowly, but surely, that's kind of changing uh, Mm -hmm. that that thought process. And I just wanted to try to have as many characters of a diverse background as possible. And I figured that I could utilize my own story training for the marathon as the true element, and then have these athletes fill in the gaps of the three you know, main reasons as why, why an athlete would want to be vegan or vegetarian when all the counterparts, I mean, in sports, we're always taught that to be bigger, to be stronger, to be faster, you have to get your protein and it has to come from animal sources. So mm-hmm. I wanted to show the diverse group of athletes and, and try to hit home that, you know, anybody can do this, whether you're a weekend warrior or a national champion.
0: And you back this up. You have medical experts also who, you know, really, and what you achieve with them is they're speaking in layman's terms so anybody can understand it. It's not a lot of medicalese speak. Right. So Dr. Michelle McMacken she's
2: one of our primary Experts in terms of, of medical field, and when I first, you know, she was also one of the first people that believed in me on this project. You know, uh, part of that part of the problem in making a film is when you don't when you have a, a kind of poor pitch deck and you don't have a website and you're no name. It's hard to get people on board, and I had to kind of sell myself with the passion that I have for this. And Dr. Mcmakin, you know, was all for it from the start. And one of the things that I had talked to her about prior to interviewing her was one of the things I think she does really well. You know, she's a she's an internal medicine physician and she's an assistant professor of medicine at the New York school of medicine, but she speaks, she doesn't talk over you or talk, you know, above you in a way where you're like, Oh, what, what am I hearing here? She tries to give it to you in layman's terms. And it's, it's very soothing to hear it from her because she helps you kind of understand things without being overwhelmed by information. Mm -hmm. And I made that clear. I wanted her to, you know, I had seen some things she had written I had seen uh, some small interviews of her, and I really loved how she was able to get this information across without making it scary, without making it in a way where you have to look things up because you don't know what's being talked about. And she was she delivered. She was so key and, and so wonderful to work with.
0: And what you very keenly did in the editing process is you broke everything up. So you've got, much like your pacing should be in a marathon, you pace us well With the documentary, with medical, you know, with medical, you know, interviews, with um, Gene Bauer, the co-founder of Farm Sanctuary, uh, what he had to tell us and show us and explain to us about uh, factory farming, and then all of your athletes. You really found a wonderful pacing with your editing. Was that challenging for you, especially given the number of interview subjects you have?
2: Yes, that was. It was very challenging, I have to say. Pacing, kind of. You know, I, 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 the reason that somebody would be vegan or vegetarian is for their health, for the environment, or for the ethical treatment of animals. That's that's the three main reasons. That's if you know anything about plant-based eating, that's common common knowledge. And mm-hmm. I wanted to break it up like that from the start. But the challenge was kind of weaving in this, the elements of, okay, how does the marathon fit into getting from, you know, the ethical treatment of animals then to health, then to the environment. And it was just, it was a lot of trial and error. You know, I'm a first time filmmaker. I did, I was, I put my own money into this. I, I was editing it with my director of photography, my call, you know, we didn't play by, any, by anybody else's rules. So I was able to make mistakes. I mean, I showed this to, over 1,500 people in, in marketing test groups prior to being comfortable to put it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's several iterations of it. But the whole idea was to try to get this message across in a way that felt inclusive. I did not want to do anything to alienate people. That was uh, part of the, my reasoning for not showing a dead animal on screen. I think that, you know, I thought about my father a lot while making this movie and I needed my dad, you know, he's a Southside Chicago guy an Italian. I needed him to get through the movie. You know, I, mm-hmm. I I'm glad and, and grateful for all the vegans that have backed me on this and, and gone to bat for me. But I really wanted to try to get this in front of people that maybe need a little nudge. They want to eat a little healthier, maybe go meatless Mondays or, you know, cut processed meats out of their diet. Um, you know, cause every little thing counts. It's not necessarily about being perfect. Um, you know, because too often in society, we try to have the perfect body, the perfect diet. It doesn't work like that because there's no such thing as perfection. That's a myth. You can strive for it, but you can never have it. So with the movie, I wanted people to feel like it's it's okay uh, to be vegan or vegetarian, you know, if you want to do it five days a week or four days a week or seven days a week, but there's no such thing as perfection. And I think that's the beauty of it. There's a lot of imperfection in the movie and that's how documentaries are supposed to be, I think
0: well, I mean everybody even though these are elite athletes that you're talking to uh, for the most part they're just like they're anybody you would meet on the street, anybody you'd run into in in the grocery store, anybody you'd run into in a gym um Tory Washington, amazing you know bodybuilder and a coach, and then he's an illustrator. I mean, we learned so many wonderful little things about these people. That really, you know, m- provide touchstones for the audience to tap into at-, at least one of the stories presented.
2: Yeah, I was I was very I was very grateful for how I guess down to earth these people were. Um, you know, I had I was an all American football player in high school. I played at the University of Nebraska. I trained at a world class facility called Athletes Performance with. Uh, One of the guys that's a strength coach at the Denver Broncos, Luke Richardson, he's a world-renowned strength coach. And at a young age, he's a family friend, so I had the opportunity to do that. But at a young age, I had met some of my heroes in sports, and it was a little bit disappointing. You know, there's a saying, don't meet your heroes, because there are a lot of – you know, in society, we put entertainers, actors, musicians, we put athletes. These are our gods of today. So I was a little concerned. I didn't know – how some of these athletes would be with me, but everybody was so genuine and humble and open and upfront. I was very surprised. And it was one of my favorite parts of, of making the movie because I have friendships that will last a lifetime. And you speak of Tori Washington and Tori, I really needed Tori at a moment during this film. There was a lot of adversity on this film. There was a lot of things that
1: went wrong.
2: Um, you know, things out of my control things because I'm a first time filmmaker. Uh, we had some deals fall through with, with a major distributor uh, things out of our control and it was just a trial by fire and the time that Tori came on on board and was going to be a part of it he was very soothing very calming uh, he ba- he's backed me up and been such a strong proponent of the movie and and he's just an incredible human being so it's one of the things about these athletes is they don't misconstrue who they are with what they do and i think that that was one of the most fulfilling things of learning about these people because too often in society we fail to understand that it's not what we do that makes us the characters we are it's our character it's who we are so Mm -hmm. um it was it was a beautiful process and experience
0: well you know you mentioned some of the things that failed or you know that fell apart during the filming one of the big questions i have because you have so much footage in there um of archival footage of football games of various sporting events as a first time filmmaker what kind of problems did you run into with licensing and getting the rights to use a lot of that footage
2: well uh so i did everything i did everything as the producer so i had to contact the nfl i had to contact img and wme and i guess with no studio backing with You know, at the time, my website wasn't live for the film. I mean, I built the website. Uh, This is truly an independent project. I mean, as as low to the ground (laughs) as it can be, it was definitely built from the ground up. And I I don't mean to be corny or cliche, but it took me almost two and a half years to to gain access to NFL footage. It took a lot of emails. Uh, With, you know, IMG and WME, it took six months of, of contracting back and forth. It was it was a tough process, and you know I had to go to bat for for myself, and my lawyers would be the ones that would say yes or no on some of the points, and it'd just be a lot of in between time of not getting returns or getting ghosted by people. It was it was a tough process, but I guess if I make another film, I know how to do it now. I guess I got a very expensive education out of it.
0: Oh my god! Because yeah, as I'm looking at all of this, that's that's one of the big things I'm thinking of um, having gone through this myself in producing films. Is it, that is one of the biggest headaches, and you had so much in there, and I'm thinking, oh my God, this poor guy, you know, <laughs> you really try. Well, this was trial by fire for you, Sandino. Yeah, it was. It
2: was a. It was a rough go. It was something that I was not prepared for. But maybe you know, sometimes I think that could be a good thing because if you think about it, when there was a pitcher per pick, when there was a pitcher in baseball pitching a perfect game the other team doesn't want to be the one that doesn't get a hit. So sometimes they'll throw in some young kid that's a DH or just, you know, doesn't know any better and he swings a bat and he gets a hit. Um, I think that with this whole process, I just, I needed somebody to tell no to my face. If, if the NFL wasn't going to give me footage, I need, why? What, what do I need to do? What, what hoops do I have to jump through? And I was lucky enough that, you know, two years into that process, There was a woman at NFL Films named Linda Endress that was very, very kind and and willing to listen to me because they get requests every single day for footage from so many different people and they they have to protect their assets. That's the way it goes. It's not, it's not because it's something personal. It's just, it's a business. And that's what they Mm -hmm. have to do to ensure their footage doesn't get in the wrong hands or it doesn't, it's not used for something it's not supposed to that offends sponsors and so on and so forth. But once I spoke with Linda Endress, she was key and helping me navigate what needed to be done. And she was willing to listen to me and take the time to, you know, I think be compassionate. Um, and uh, it, was, it was lovely meeting her and, and, and getting a chance to work with her because it would have been a dead end if I didn't meet her. And I, I, owe, I owe it to her for getting that footage for sure.
0: Well, since I'm almost, we're almost out of time here right now, I've got to ask you, now that you have, obviously you completed the New York Marathon, yay, Uh, My (laughs) one of my brothers actually ran the New York marathon once. And I said, obviously our genes got you're not, we're not from the same genetic pool. Uh, But uh, so I know how difficult is. I know how hard he trained. So I know, you know what that meant for you to to complete the marathon, but you've also completed the marathon of making a film. Will you now make another film?
2: Well, film has always been my my favorite medium of art. I think that, You know, people don't have time to sit down and read a book about vegan athletes. They don't have time to sit down and read about why we should protect uh, the the world from anthropogenic climate change. So for me, I think film is a great medium to provide information in a short period of time that allows people to maybe look deeper into something. So I love film uh, and I want to continue making films. I don't necessarily know if I want to, I'll do probably another documentary, uh, but I'd I want to dig in with my director of photography, Mike Cole. We have some ideas we've been flushing out for feature film. Um, so, yeah, I love it, and I want to do it again. I think it's, a, it's an amazing process. It's a challenging process, and I think filmmaking really taught me a lot about myself, and I think it's a lot like running where you can't do all the miles in one go. You know, you have to have setbacks. You have to fail. Failure is only failure if you don't learn, and I think that that's the beauty of filmmaking because it's always a process of, of learning.
0: Well, considering what you delivered with From the Ground Up, I can't wait to see what you do with a next film. Uh, and Thank you. And From the Ground Up, it's on VOD now, so everybody can see it.
2: Yes, ma'am. iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and... Um You know, they they can rent or buy it. So it's on those platforms, and that's where we're at for now, and hopefully something bigger in the future.
0: Santino, thank you so much. I got to have Annie hook you up. I want to do a sit down interview with you, or a phone, or off air, uh, about and go into more detail about uh, your journey and making the film because I think it's just fascinating, absolutely fascinating.
2: Thank you so much, Debbie. Th- thank you for having me on. It's It's been an honor and a pleasure to, to speak with you, and I hope to meet you in person sometime soon, and uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity.
0: Oh, any time, and you will come back on my show again. <laughs>
2: yes,
1: ma'am. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Santino. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. And that was Santino Panico, writer, director, editor, producer of From the Ground Up. It is, as I said, it's educational, it's entertaining, and you will sit there and you'll think, yeah, well, maybe I actually can go vegan for a day or something. Well, maybe not. But (laughs) it will make you think, and it's a well-done documentary. But right now, we have two two other very special people as we welcome... The wonderful Dana Nachman and Don Hardy. Hello. Hello. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I am fine. I am so thrilled to have you guys on the show. I mean, Dana, I don't know if you remember, but I moderated uh, a QA and a at Arclight with you for Bat Kid. I do. Uh, that was so much fun. It was so much fun. And I am just... I mean, I didn't think you could top Bad Kid for cuteness and wonderful stuff. And then you come up with Pick of the Litter with the cutest little puppies you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) And you tug at the heartstrings. You guys, you guys know how to make documentaries. Just no doubt about it. Well,
3: thank you very much. (laughs)
0: Thank you. That's so kind. This is... I mean, you just, it's like you want to reach through the screen and you want to grab each one of these puppies and you want to take them and you don't want to let go. Uh, <laughs> I watched this with one of my cats laying on top of me, watching with me. And he, and he was a cat that, and I ro- so related to these, to these people that take these puppies and start working with them and social with their social skills Because when I got him, he was a tiny little baby. I watched him be born, and the vet needed Mm -hmm. somebody to foster. And I said, yeah. And she said, it was only for a couple weeks. And then it was, well, there was still an outbreak of rhinovirus at at the animal hospital. She could keep him for a few weeks more. Yeah, no problem. By then, it's like, he's not going back. And he's been with me for, for almost 17 years now. So... I
4: know. I mean, you you wonder how these people do it. They give them up, but I know it's for such a good cause.
0: How did, what led you guys? This is so not a typical story. This is not something that's in the mainstream. This is not like a one-time event like Bat Kid that might be happening. This is Guide Dogs for the Blind. We're used to, every Christmas, we get the, the charitable donation envelope in the mail with some Christmas cards that, you know, they hope you'll send a donation back and you get these Christmas cards you can send out to people. And they always have beautiful painted little Labradors on them. It's not, <laughs> it's, it's not the kind of film that, that it just pops into your head. So where did this start with you guys?
4: Um, Don, you want me to take it? Sure. Um, <laughs> Uh, well we um Don and I used to work at um, NBC, um here in the San Francisco Bay Area and there's um a big school here and we did several stories on them. I don't know, I remember like three or four. Um, and every time we did them it was so much fun and it was it was just a little bit you know, you you know, on television news, you just get a couple minutes, um, and the stories were always so emotional. Um, whether it was a graduation where the dog makes it all the way and and then gets paired with a person who's blind, or the um, puppy raisers who have to raise them and then give them up, um, it was always so compelling. Um, and Donna and I are both huge dog people, and so it was fun to be able to to spend time with dogs, um, especially such amazing dogs, um, during our workday. And so I think it it started there, and then. Over the years, um, my mom was a newspaper journalist, and she um, had done just what we did in a television—I mean—in a newspaper series where mm-hmm. she followed a litter of puppies from the day they were born to if they made the cut. And so that seemed like a really good, uh, obvious kind of narrative arc to be able to tell. And, and I think both Don and I love competition um, movies, and so mm-hmm. this was a really fun competition
0: movie um and and uh you know that's kind of how it started and and i love that you called it a competition movie because as you're watching the way you have structured this and the way you have edited the the film this is very much a competition okay Who's, who, who's, who's, who's better at crossing the street? Who's better at stopping? All right. Who, oh, he's, he's eating the leash. He's not, he's not going to make the cut. And you watch this and you start rooting for each one of them in a different capaci- capacity. until so we start seeing what happens, you know, Potomac falls out. And it's like, then I was telling my sound engineer before the show, I said, and I'm thinking, oh my God, what happened to him? What happened to him? And. <laughs> you are so invested as you're watching this competition as to okay who's still in the race who's still going forward who is actually going to get to be placed with a person and it it's very edge of your seat at moments i got to tell you
3: <laughs> oh thank you that, that's i i awesome. think that while we were making it we definitely felt that way that there was so many twists and turns uh that we never saw coming when we set off to make this, and uh, we hope that that translates to the film and to the audience, the, that uncertainty, and, and really just the, the stakes and how hard it is for one of these dogs to really make
4: it all the way.
0: I had no idea, no idea. Of this process, and we were don't
4: uh, we were worried um, also that God forbid um, none of these dogs made it. We're like, what's going to happen to our film after two years of this? <laughs> so we were we were trying not to think
0: about that because this. I mean, you start you start the film and you've got the slide up there. There are eight hundred puppies that are born to be groomed and trained to be guide dogs. Only what three hundred make it. And right, right away, and you're, yeah. you're 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 in your head. You're thinking of the odds, and it's like, oh, we have these five: we have Patriot, Potomac, Primrose, Poppet, and Phil. And of course, <laughs> just by the very name of Phil, you're figuring Phil is not going to make the cut. His name is doomed him. <laughs> Phil is not making. <laughs> so, but and you keep us on our toes, as as we're watching these, but. Also, you give a lot of time to the human counterparts too, and you really let. Yeah, us... that was we were working on that
4: balance too because we only met the. Um... You know, the the um, people who are blind, we only met them at the end. And so it was, it was always a question of how much um, they would be in the movie. And then, you know, so many people touched these dogs' lives throughout. And so we knew the trainers would be in the movie, but we really wanted, you know, as much as we love the dogs and we love dog movies, um, we want it to be a people movie too. So we really tried to strike that balance.
0: And, you know, and you had some really heart-wrenching moments in there when when the people, the initial people who are working on social skills with, with the puppies you know, when they have to return them or when they're taken away because of behavioral issues, they need somebody tougher to work on. Um, I think one of the most endearing, though you see these adults breaking down and crying, but then you see little Oliver as he has to say goodbye <laughs> to the dog and he kisses <laughs> the dog on his head and says, bye. <laughs> and- <laughs> And it's just so it's so mad. Yeah, that kid's fact.
4: had a lot of dogs. I think they have one now too. They they get one every year, so yeah. he's, he's getting used to it. I don't know. Well, but I think the adults seem like they never get the used to it. The dogs <laughs>
3: really become such a part of these these everybody's families and you know, just like your your pet dog at home, it's really it's really hard to make that sacrifice to give them back, to return them and send them off on as I think as um one of the puppy raisers in the film says, you know, they get them through high school and then they have to return them to campus to work with the professional trainers to get them through college. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, even though they do it year after year, um, for many of them, um, it's, it doesn't get easier. And, and, and uh, it, it, it's a serious volunteer position, that's for sure.
0: And, and you, you hear one, <laughs> yeah. of, one of the couples talking about, you know, well, it's no longer an empty nest, at least not for now. And so that really parlays into that idea of and it's interesting how that how you can have a pragmatic outlook like that, but then that doesn't tell your heart it's that your heart's not listening to that Girl. pragmatism <laughs> what were because this was stretched out over such a period of time, and you've got five dogs, and you have more more puppy razors than that because as we saw, some of them get passed off to a second, you know, to see if they can whip them into shape before they go back to campus. Um, what, how logistically challenging was that for you? And to divvy up the time and, <laughs> and when you were going to see each one. And, of course, you know, like W.C. Fields said, you know, animals and kids, no. Um, so you've, you've got the antics of the of the puppies to be, to deal with as well. So how logistically did you work this out?
4: Um, it was very challenging. I think it was one of those things that, you know, you go, you have this idea and you go forward with it and you think, oh, how hard could it be? And then once we were in it, like, I remember at the beginning, I was keeping a spreadsheet of the dogs and, and where they were and who the names of their handlers were. And like, I couldn't even keep track of who was where, because they were, they were in Oregon, LA and the Bay area. Um, and they, they were just everywhere. And it was very, very hard to, to keep track of them, um, and then it, it sort of got easier, but we always kind of felt like we were behind the eight ball, like things would be changing very quickly, and it was hard to keep up with them. And Don took so many flights uh, to Oregon, it was ridiculous. I mean, I feel like he was in Oregon every single day. <laughs> oh, yeah, there was one in Washington State. I was definitely I mean, it was working just... on my
3: frequent flyer miles.
4: I was going to say. Yeah, it was a little nuts. It was a little nuts, and we thought, like, you know, it's kind of those things that, where you are kind of glad you didn't know or you might not have done it, you know, ahead of time. Um, it, it was a little nutty, to be honest.
0: Oh, But, but it's, it's puppies. You would have done it anyway, even if you knew. <laughs> exactly. you, it's puppies. You would have done it.
4: It's true. And then it actually
3: got even more difficult once um, some of the dogs, the ones that make it to this point, um, go back for the real, real training at mm. the guide dogs campus. And even though Guide Ducks for the Blind is based in Marin County, it's close to where Dana and I live, uh, we were there virtually every day going through the training experience with them because we just weren't sure uh, what were the most important parts and what weren't. And Mm -hmm. we were strategizing the best we could to be economical with our shooting. Uh, Still, though, at some point you just sort of resign yourself like, I'm going to go shoot again today because I just don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think we ended up with uh, around 120 shoots for the film, which far surpasses anything we've done wow. Uh, previously.
0: Wow. How many hours did that translate into for editing?
3: Somewhere around 200.
0: <laughs> well, that, that's not as bad as I thought it would be. But then when do the, when, when do the two of you start? The editing process, because you don't know how this story is going to play out until the very bitter end. So, uh, do you start editing early on to develop the through line and start crafting that pacing and going between this pup and that pup and this home and that home, or do you wait until you have all the footage?
4: No, we didn't wait till all the footage. Um, I, I, I'm trying to remember. I think we started in February. Does that sound right, Don? To edit this past yeah, February. I believe it was
3: around February oh, or maybe February. January. And we took a bit of a different strategy than before in that uh, instead of and typically Dana will uh, sort of transcribe and then do a paper edit mm-hmm. uh, of the film. So I get a, a script and then I'll dig in. But because there was so much, Dana did a lot of the lay, laying it out actually in the edit bay. Uh, so she she uh, she got her editing chops in gear on this one. And it really helped, because then by the time it made it to me, a lot of choices had already been made, and uh, I think we could move along a little bit quicker. But it, it, was, a, it was an extensive edit, for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. So who had the final Yeah, we word? didn't have to really know who
4: went the distance um, to start it, because, um, you know, in certain spots we might have wanted to know, um, but, you know, most of the time for the first um, year, basically year and a half, um, you know, when the dogs are, the, for the first two months, they're at the, um, at the facility with their mom, and then they go out for about 14 to 16 months to their puppy raisers. And those parts um, were going to be in regardless. Um, but then every time um, there would be challenges with them, we'd have to shoot that, and we'd, we'd edit those out um, also. So really, it was just the last part of the, um, of the film that we held to edit. So we really could do the first, basically, like,
0: two-thirds
4: of the movie Mm -hmm.
0: ahead of time yeah you know i'm curious about everybody coming into this what was it like getting releases and consent for all of these people because i know that that also comes into play as you know guide dogs is giving puppies to people you want to film what if the people don't want to be filmed
4: wait we need releases Oh no, we got them. Just <laughs> Wait, what? Um Yeah, I mean I think um so we had interviewed three different um schools before we um we went into this. Um some were for the blind. Some were for other disabilities. Um, and the reason we chose um, Guide Dogs for the Blind was because they had a pretty big infrastructure. Because, um, you know, it is a pain to have a documentary crew like crew around you mm-hmm. and dealing with all these logistics. And we felt like they would have a good enough infrastructure to help us do this in the right way, because it was a lot of, of logistics. Um, and part of that is the releases. Um, so they... I have no idea how many people they went to that said no before before oh, we got our list okay. of people that said yes. Um, but it was they were already approved to go out to people who would be in the film before. Oh, they, okay. Before they would, um, and so we were a little nervous at the end because if some dogs made it, I won't say who or what. Um, the question of which person who would receive the dog was a little touchy because these have to go. The dogs have a perfect fit with a person, mm-hmm. and if that person didn't want to be in the film, that would have that would be a big problem. But luckily, um, I think a lot of the people who work with Guide Dogs for the Blind, whether they receive a dog or they volunteer with the organization, they really are very committed um, to the organization and are so thankful for for everything that they do that I think my experience is they've been very happy to participate in the film because I think it will get the word out about how amazing these dogs are um, and how helpful dogs can be to people.
0: I mean, what we see, you know, as the dogs go through their paces and go through their training I mean, these dogs are are better behaved than most adults out there. <laughs> yes. It's 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 just incredible to watch them. I know when I was in college, there was actually a, a blind student, and she had her guide dog with her at all times, and one of the sweetest Labradors in the world, absolutely adorable. But that dog was. On command, you know, sit down, heal, knew the campus. I think the dog knew the campus better than most of the students. Um, So to watch this training process, um, having seen the end result personally, and then now seeing this process, I'm just, I am just astounded, absolutely astounded.
4: I know, it is shocking. I, and then I think I don't, we were, dog when dogs we were out, out filming, too,
3: it, it really, uh, y- we both have pet dogs that, you know, maybe can do a little sit, maybe a little stay, but <laughs> that's about it. And then to be able to see what these dogs can do and the way they really, uh, once they get back for the formal guide, guide work training, how you see them taking the lead mm-hmm. and uh, in, in really guiding their person that was um it was just re- remarkable i i think now and then we see it on the street if we happen to pass a person who is blind that is working with a dog but to to see that transformation was uh something very special
0: and you had not you didn't know anything about this or and you had not witnessed this during the days that you were with nbc in san francisco correct you did stories on the dogs but you didn't know about this process or or had not, not seen. Not much,
4: it. really. I mean, I don't think we ever did anything on the training. We did stuff on the graduation, and then the the you know kind of the family members. But I don't remember ever looking into the training at all. Mm-hmm. So no, we didn't know. Not really. It was
3: it-, it was kind of the way TV news is, where you you know you get in, you tell a quick story, and get out. It's not like being there every day uh,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and and know, yeah, seeing it from beginning to end like
0: this. What was the most challenging aspect of bringing this film to life for the two of you? Um, it, it, I can imagine it, you may have had an easier time of people wanting to pony up money for cute puppies, uh, but but so I don't know. I bet I, I wonder
4: if Don and I will have the same answer. I think we will. Do you want okay. to go first, and I'll play if it was the same.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there was a lot of hard bits to this. <laughs> but I think I did a lot of the, the shooting and it was coming up with a way to actually keep pace with the the dogs and their trainers uh, without being disruptive, which mm-hmm. was a big part of what we wanted to do here. We didn't want to intrude on the training process because that's the most important thing. So we had to come up with a, a camera system that would allow us to keep up, be steady and capture things as they were happening. And, quickly realized that the big camera we normally shoot with that goes on my shoulder was not going to be the way to do it. So I think for me, that was the biggest challenge.
0: And what did you end up shooting with? We found this
3: wonderful little camera made by Sony called an A6500. It's basically a little, almost a pocket-sized camera, but it takes very good 4K footage, and it has also... um, has great autofocus, which Mm -hmm. typically we don't use, but but in this case needed to. So we took that, put it on a little handheld gimbal thing, kind of like the the stuff in a drone that makes footage look steady, Mm -hmm. and then clip that to uh, the end of a monopod so that we could pick it up really high in the air or really down low at dog level and be able to navigate the streets without, uh, well... Barely running into things, we'll say that. <laughs> but uh, the dogs didn't seem to mind it, and uh, yeah, we were able to get the shots we needed.
0: And what would you say was the most challenging thing, Dana? I was going to say the same thing. Um,
4: and the, just the only other tidbit was um, these—they walk so darn fast. So not only do you have to like keep, you know, be there with the camera, you know, the, and I think you probably noticed in the in the um, in the film that you know, like. You, Don's really close to them, he's really up and it's, it, they were walking very, very fast, so um, just keeping up, it was it was really tough um, and, and you know you know that's so important nothing's more important than the actual shots so um, yeah, that was it was hard.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned how fast they walk because I was watching that too and it's like, I don't walk that fast unless I'm in a dark alley in Center City, Philadelphia <laughs> at 2 o'clock in the morning um Oh, the best shot. tidbit
4: you have to know about this is so one day, um, they asked us if we would want to go under blindfold, um, and try it ourselves. <laughs> um, so one of the dogs, um, took us out and we hobbled down the street like so, so slowly. Like, I, I mean, literally shuffling down the street because we were so scared. And it was oh amazing to see what, um, you know, how courageous the trainers are and the people who receive these dogs are when they walk just full speed ahead because we were very slow and lame
0: <laughs> oh my god that would be me if, if if i had a blindfold on i mean i can trip and fall just walking upstairs so you know if i start <laughs> hastening a pace somewhere it's going to be especially if i can't see it's going to be problematic yeah it was humbling
4: it was humbling oh my god if,
3: it was humbling and, and terrifying at the
4: same time and gave yeah. even more respect. and we have video so we it, shot it but so we'll will never we'll posted. never uh release it <laughs>
0: You won't put it in as a DVD extra when you go to DVD? Maybe, maybe. Maybe. But maybe. Be- before we get to DVD, though, somebody has a big premiere coming up. Woo! Yeah. Yes. Tonight, is it not? No, it is Friday, uh, Friday. Friday night. Friday night, you're opening Slamdance. Yes, we're yeah. so excited.
3: Fantastic honor.
0: You know how 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 exciting is that to not only get into slam dance because of the very nature of the festival, but to be the opening to be the opening night film.
4: Well, it's such a thrill, really. I mean, you make these films, um, you know, you hope they resonate. You you put them out there for film festivals to to judge. You don't know what they're looking for exactly, um, and so to find out that we were. Um, you know, accepted to, you know, really very early on in our, in our tri- we just, just finished it, um, is so thrilling. And then to be the opening night, it really, it's awesome. And um, our film, That Kid, had been there <coughs> for, for its premiere three years ago, and it couldn't have been better. So we just, it's so nice to know it's going to have have a life, um, you know, we're, we're thrilled.
0: Now, even though the film is just premiering, having this world premiere on Friday night, have you submitted or any potential distributors seen it as yet?
3: Yeah, we, um, I believe you have. Yeah, well, I don't
0: have the details it's it's all on a that, but not at
3: this point. But,
0: well, no, yeah. you, you don't want to divulge those yet. I just, want, I, I'm just curious because I can't imagine you not getting a distribution deal with this film.
4: Oh, thank you. Uh, knock on wood, thank knock on wood. You. Yeah, um, our agents um, showed it to some distributors last week, and they said the reaction was great. Um, but we didn't get any details yet. We should write to them and find out.
0: <laughs> I mean, because any distributor that looks at this film and doesn't pick it up, I question. I question their mindset because this. Is, <laughs> oh, thank you. Can is, we have them call you? Of course. You know, <laughs> pick of the litter. It is so engaging. It is, it's charming, but it's fascinating and it's so interesting to learn about this whole process of becoming a guide dog. But it just grabs your heart. You grab the heart. You don't let go from beginning to end. I mean, it, you got another winner on your hand. Oh, thank you. Thank All right, without you any much. spoilers, do you have a that's favorite really dog? Um, I have to say, I do have a favorite dog, Phil. <laughs> okay, that's, that's Don's favorite, right, Don? <laughs> and who's your, yeah, Phil who, and
3: I had a very special bond. He's, he's a wonderful, wonderful
0: dog. Okay, and who's your favorite, Dana? My favorite is Patriot. I can see that. I love Patriot. I love Patriot. I love Patriot's story. I really love Patriot. Yes, story. I just
4: loved him from the get go. He reminded me of of my my old dog. I, I love him.
0: I have to say that watching Patriot's Story play out, I was sitting there and I started tears started rolling down my cheeks. It was so touching. <laughs> it, it was so touching. Oh, it's wonderful. At that one moment with that <laughs> phone call, that was like, <laughs> yep. I'm getting all teary just sitting here remembering it. I gotta tell you. This <laughs> <laughs> Oh God. It's a good one. It's a good one. <laughs> well, unfortunately, guys, we are totally out of time today. We're actually already oh well, I'm already a minute and forty seconds over for the whole show. <laughs> and Pam's in the oh, no. Pam's in the booth. She doesn't care. Um she's fine. She enjoys puppy stories. <laughs> but I can't. Th- I can't thank you guys enough for coming on the show to talk about Pick of the Litter, and I am just so thrilled for you. Opening night at Slam Dance on Friday night. Um, do you know if tickets are still available? Um, I believe I the first believe the showing on Friday
4: is sold out, but there's a second showing. I don't think
0: is. Well, everybody on needs Tuesday. to go to slamdance.com. I think it's slamdance.com. Yes. yes. Yes, everybody needs to go yes. there to get tickets to see Pick of the Litter. Dana, Don, thank you so, so much. This has been so fun. Thanks very thank much.
3: Thank you. I really appreciate
4: We're you having
0: Great. Us. Thanks for having us. Oh, anytime. And I hope you'll come back on the show again. Like when you get a distribution of course, deal. Absolutely. Like when you get a distribution deal. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Have fun Friday night. And, you know,
4: Thank
0: you. Oh, fingers crossed, paws crossed and everything else for Pick of the Litter. <laughs> Thanks guys. Thank Thanks you. So much, Thanks for having us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Don Hardy and Dana Knockman, directors, editors, writers, producers of Pick of the Litter, world premiere at Slamdance Friday night. Tickets available go to slamdance.com. You don't want to miss this film. Uh, We are out of time before Pam shoots me here. So that's it for behind. That's it for today. I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.